So we finished up uh, the book of Exodus last week, and uh, in the beginning of the year, um, we said we're going to take a couple spiritual practices and focus in on those probably every six months. And at the beginning of the year, we focused in on the spiritual practice of prayer. Um, And uh, then we said, okay, every once in a while, we're going to kind of bring another practice before you. And this morning, we're going to look at the spiritual practice of community and uh, community or fellowship koinonia in in scripture is one of those uh, words that we toss about a lot you know come for food fun and what fellowship right that's the classic christian thing that we, that we say but i wonder how deep our fellowship sometimes is I often talk about what I call the fine, fine church. Uh, When people come to church and it's like, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. We leave and folks, I don't know anybody in my life that's doing completely fine. It's, we're struggling and it's, it's a challenge to live out this Christian life and in the culture that we're living in, I think it's even more challenging. Um, And I don't think we in the West are really wired up to do community very well. We have a rugged kind of individualistic streak in our lives and hearts, I think. Alex de Tocqueville, uh, who was a kind of observer of American culture several centuries ago, um, said this, that extremist individualism is the defining American trait. If left unchecked, it will result in the abolition of humanity. That's pretty strong words, and it seems a bit extreme, but as we look at the world today, um, there's this, I think, epidemic, not of COVID, but of loneliness and isolation that people feel. Um, In Harvard Magazine, January and February of this year, a guy named Jacob Sweet uh, wrote an article on the loneliness pack pandemic. And uh, uh, he says that American experience, according to a 2018 report by the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation, found that 22% of adults in the United States say they often or always feel lonely or socially isolated. A 2019 survey led by Cigna found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely Books like Bowling Alone by uh, Robert Putnam have highlighted the decline of social capital in the United States, but more recently, loneliness has become a serious issue of public health. In 2017, former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy um, called loneliness a public health, quote, epidemic. The United Kingdom appointed a minister for loneliness a year later. That Theresa May in 2018 appointed a minister of loneliness in England. And the reason that she did that was she was seeing the epidemic hit those that are living in England, and it has public health implications. Um, I was reading further on in another study. Here are the health risks of loneliness. Loneliness is likely to increase your risk of death by 26%. It gets even higher the older you get. So in my age group, and I'm not going to say what that is, it's about 45%. Um, Loneliness, living alone, and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's worse for you than obesity. Loneliness and social isolation are associated with an increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. Loneliness increases the risk of high blood pressure. 
Loneliness with severe depression is associated with early mortality, and loneliness is a risk serious depression later in life. Loneliness and social isolation put individuals at a greater risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Welcome to church this morning. <laughs> Aren't you glad that you came? But the reality is that we as the church are called to be connected, to be different, to be a community. Yet I wonder sometimes how well we're doing that. Because we can come and there's often a superficial sense of community that we have with one another, but to communicate at that heart level with somebody else is sometimes challenging in the church, right? And I don't know what your experience with church has been, but some people are like, man, I'm not going to open myself up to anybody. I tried that one time, and man, it was a disaster. And there's all sorts of issues that come and baggage that we bring into the church, but this whole issue of being a community is really central to what it means to be a Christian. It's not optional. And we've gone through this last year with COVID and the isolation that that brings. The introverts among us are like, wow, that was pretty cool. I kind of like that, you know. The extroverts are like, oh, this is killing me. But to me, the issue of community isn't based on introversion or extroversion. Introversion and extroversion, those were first developed, and it's the idea of what energizes me. Am I energized by being in large groups or am I energized by being in smaller groups? And that to me is not really that relevant to the whole issue of community. Issue of community can come in a big group but it can come in a small group as well. In 1984, the average American had three people that they felt were their confidants, right? A recent poll said 25% of Americans have nobody that they feel they can talk to. And you would think in our digitally connected age that loneliness and isolation is kind of a thing of the past. You know, we can connect at a moment's notice. But a woman named Shelley Turkle has done a lot of research in this and recognizes that, you know, we can be connected digitally and still feel incredibly lonely. In fact, the loneliest generation in our country right now is the most digitally connected generation, and that's Gen Z. And so to me, this is something that's really serious. It's serious because it has implications for our mental health and physical health, but it's serious because it has huge implications on how we, as people, grow spiritually and, and experience spiritual health. And you see more and more people bailing on church. It's like, man, I've got my, my Bible, my podcast, I'm good. I don't need anybody else. But I don't think that that's gonna work very well for very long. There's something about being face-to-face -face with somebody else. I define community as authentic, loving relationships brought together by a common love for Jesus Christ. An authentic, loving relationship that is brought together by a common love for Jesus Christ. That's it, that's the only commonality that we need as a church. It's not based on common social interests. It's not based on social status. It's not based on race. It's not based on where you fit in the wealth spectrum. It is solely based on our common love for Jesus Christ. 
And as you look at the church, this whole thing of community has been a challenge from the start. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, I wish we could get back to what the early church was like. We're gonna look at a passage this morning that deals with communion and how the Lord's Supper was being celebrated in Corinth. And Corinth, the church in Corinth in the south, they would say, it's a hot mess. <laughs> it was a huge hot mess, right? There's divisions and there's people in the church saying, man, I follow Apollos. Oh, I'm not into Apollos at all, man. I'm into Peter. And then the really spiritual people would say, I follow Jesus, right? And there are these divisions in the church. There were lawsuits in the church. There was a guy sleeping with his stepmother in the church and the church was saying, yeah, isn't that great? We're so liberated and so progressive. Isn't this a wonderful thing? And then we're going to look at this passage this morning and see what was happening when they came together to celebrate communion. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under one of the seats around you. And there should be an index in the front. If you are new to Christianity or just kind of checking it out, there's a bookshelf in the foyer that has Bibles and other Christian resources. Please pick up anything that is of interest to you. We're just really glad you're here and hanging out with us strange Christians this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. So I was saying, yeah, it's really bad when you guys gather. You'd be better off if you didn't even gather as a church. So this is probably not good. <laughs> for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you must be may be recognized. So Paul's saying that some of this division and you know, difference of opinion, it's okay. It's how we get to wrestling with what does the word really say. So we should be prepared for differences of opinion within the body. That's okay. But when it becomes factious and divisive, then that's a problem. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's pretty direct here. He says this, when you come together and you're celebrating the Lord's Supper, he says, don't even call it the Lord's Supper. That's a farce. Why? What was happening? Well, what was likely happening in the early church, they would celebrate the Lord's table with a love feast that they would call it, where the church would get together. It would be the communion table, but it would also be just a common meal that they would eat with one another. And what appears to have happened in Corinth, there was a wealthy group of people that probably did not have to work like the servants or the slaves. They would get there early. They would have the lobster and the filet and the whole thing set up and it would be really good. And they'd have, you know, a couple bottles of La Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, you know, 1927 out there. And, you know, everybody else is working. And so when they come to the love feast, the people that have resources, man, they're stuffed and they're tanked up a little bit. And this is at church. This is the early church that we want to go back to, right? This is the kind of love feast that we want to be celebrating. And Paul says, this should not happen. And he says, you are humiliating those that have left. This was a social class distinction and those that did not have resources to bring a lot of food or good food were going away hungry because those with resources had ate, ate everything that was there where they should have been sharing that 
with others. So Paul comes down really hard on this and he says, I'm not gonna commend you in this. I can't commend you in this. Because why? Because this is a, just a total misrepresentation of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? We all come to Christ at the same level. Regardless of where our, we stand in the social hierarchy, we all recognize if we're gonna come to Christ that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter what my bank account is, it doesn't matter what my social status is, that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And in the early church, Paul said what? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. So all of these issues that create division in our culture said should not create division in the church. But the problem was that the culture was seeping into the church in Corinth, and it often does in our culture as well. And so Paul comes down pretty hard on these folks. And then the center passage that we often hear during communion, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul reminds them, why are you gathering? You're gathering to remember Jesus Christ and what he's done. And what did he do? Was he all focused on himself and getting everything that he wanted? No, he gave his life so that we could all come together. And he's saying, church, that's what I want you to be about. Not to gather with all your needs. I want what I want when I want it. But Paul is reminding them, this is what the Lord's Supper is about. Being selfless, getting out of your own head into serving other people around you. And he says, that's not happening here in Corinth. Then he goes on, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So this is pretty intense, isn't it? Does God take community and how we practice community kind of lightly? It's like, yeah, I'm not, I don't really care. Get together, don't get together, whatever. No, he says, the way you're practicing community is so damaging to the church that many of you I have judged by bringing sickness into your life and some of you I have taken out of this life completely. That's intense. And we look at this and we say, what in the world is going on? And I think those people that were judged that severely, they're not out of the kingdom. They have not lost their salvation because later on he says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So God's discipline sometimes hits certain people in a really strong way. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They're thinking, oh, we're gonna pretend that we're a lot more righteous and a lot more giving than we are. And what does the Lord do? He takes them out at that moment. And what was the Lord doing? I think we're gonna see Ananias and Sapphire in heaven, they're going to be, that was a really stupid blunder that we made, right? 
But the reality is what was God's doing? He's showing to the church, I take religious hypocrisy super seriously. Don't mess around. Don't pretend to be more righteous or holy or giving or sacrificial than you really are. All right? And I think here he's taken some of these people out for the same reason. I take community very seriously. So seriously that a lot of you who are practicing this wrong, who aren't giving a rip about anybody else, you're sick. And he says many of you are sick and some of you have died. That's pretty serious. Verse 29 says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And to me, I think the body that is being talked about there is the body of Christ, community of Christ. Yes, it probably represents the body of Christ. Yeah, we don't recognize that Jesus died, but we also are not recognizing, discerning that we are part of the body of Christ. And those people that you're not giving anything to eat to, you're not giving anything to drink to, you know what? Christ died for those people. And you need to be recognizing and thinking about those people. And when you fail to do that, you're bringing God's discipline into your lives. So to me, I wanted to start this message on community by just emphasizing how important God thinks this community is. It's not just, ah, okay, get together. This is so serious, how we practice it. If we do it wrong, God says, I'm gonna discipline you for doing that wrong. To me, as you read this, you know, one of the things it is, does is, is it gives me hope. It's like, okay, the church has been messed up from the beginning. This has been hard to do from the very start. Jesus' first community, right? As you read through the list of the apostles, there's usually only two that are given kind of an after thing after their name. Matthew the what? Tax collector and Simon the what? Zealot, Okay. Those guys are as far apart on the political spectrum as you can get in that culture, right? The zealots were ones that wanted to throw off the Roman oppressor, right? They were often called Sicarii. They'd have these small knives that they'd go into crowds, and if there was a lot of people and there was a Roman soldier there, they'd just come up behind and just give them one of those in the side and head out, okay? Tax collectors, what were they? They were ones that were in the pocket of Rome, right? They were collecting taxes from their fellow Jews, and they had a certain amount that they could collect, but anything above what they were required to collect just went into their pocket. So these people were the ones that were loaded in that culture, and they were loaded in that culture because they were feeding off their fellow Jews. And so these were the traitors, the treasonous ones that were in kind of cahoots with this oppressive Roman regime. All right, imagine sitting around a charcoal fire where Matthew and Simon are sitting next to one another, right? That'd be like a Trumper who stormed the White House sitting down with uh, AOC and just having a little bit of a a heart-to-heart. Yeah, let's just talk. (laughs) Henry Nouwen said, community is the place where you come into church and you sit next to the person that you least want to sit next to. Why? Because God wants us to grow. He wants us to be challenged by those around us. And we're going to have different opinions, right? If 
the only thing that commonly holds us together is a love for Christ, then there's going to be a whole lot of differences in the church. And there should be a whole lot of differences in the church. But somehow, when we allow God's grace to work in our lives, those differences become an advantage to us. And we live in a day and age where people can hardly talk with one another anymore without getting in a fight. Man, the level of intensity, you know, to just sit down and dialogue and say, hey, you know, I've got a different opinion on whatever the topic is theologically. It may be predestination and free will, any of these things, the role of women, all those kind of things. You just, we can't even sit and talk right now and say, why do you hold this opinion? Why do I hold this opinion? Let's wrestle through these things. Let's go to the word of God so that we can seek to determine what God is saying. Folks, community is not uniformity at all, but it's recognizing that God has called us to be one in our diverse states, with our diverse backgrounds, with all of us having something to bring and to give. It's interesting to me that if we miss out on community, I think we often miss out not only on fellowship horizontally, but on hearing from God. If, if we are collectively the body of Christ, right? When I am not interacting with others in the body of Christ, I'm not interacting with what Jesus wants to do through that other person in my life. And I think most of us, well, oh, I want God to zap me. I want to have this incredible spiritual experience. Those are wonderful, and I, I hope those happen to you. But I think the primary way that God manifests his presence and we experience that presence is through our brothers and sisters in church. You've ever been encouraged by somebody when you needed to be encouraged? Was it usually skywriting or something like that? Or it's usually through a brother or sister. And I've had times where it's like, man, I'm just done with this whole thing and, and I'll get a letter in the mail that says, hey man, hang in there, that was really helpful for me. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll hang in there. <laughs> and it's like, I interpret that as this is God saying to me, hang in there. It's not just somebody randomly that just wrote something and you know, but it's God prompting somebody else. And one of these things, the person said, yeah, I wrote this, I put it in my drawer and it was like six months, I forgot about it and I finally sent it. And it hit right at that right time in my life where I was just like, I'm, I'm just done. I'm just tired of this. And God says, hang in there. That was God using that person and he wants to use you and me in that same way with one another. But if we're disconnected and we're never interacting with one another, how does that happen? And again, community, if you're an extrovert, it's gotta be 500 people. I don't think that's the case. But even if you're an introvert, you need a few people. And sometimes introverts make the best community partners because they'll sit and they'll listen and they'll hear and they're not distracted by 50 other people around wondering what that person's doing. So it's not a matter of introversion or extroversion. It's a matter of am I seeking to be the body of Christ with my brothers and sisters in community together. It's not optional. And if I'm going to experience community deeply, if I'm going to grow healthy and strong spiritually, I need you. You are necessary for my growth in the Lord. And if you are going to experience community, and if you are going to grow spiritually and grow strong in the Lord, you need me, and you need your brothers and sisters 
around us. And we're going to flesh this out more as we get into this series, but to me this is super significant and it's super important and it's super lacking in our culture today because we're so individualistic, man. We go, if we have a home, we hit the garage door button, we're in the house, the garage door goes down if you have a garage, and then, man, it's just like, okay, I'm looking at my phone or, you know. And it's like, okay, we need to connect to one another, not just superficially. A Super Bowl party is not Christian fellowship. It may be what leads to Christian fellowship as those relationships develop and you can go deeper and you can talk about those things that really matter in life, but that's not what it is. We need those that are confidants in our lives if we're going to grow and experience what the Lord wants for us to be. If you got your insert this morning, I wrote on that all the one another's in the New Testament. And so before we celebrate the Lord's table, I'm just going to read through these things. This is what God has called us to be as a Christian community, the one another's in how we're to interact with one another in church. So I'm just going to read through these, and then we'll celebrate the table together. And I'm just going to ask you this morning just to search your heart, ask the Lord to search your heart, and say, is there a way, God, that you're wanting me to move towards more community, more relationships with people in the body? And I know there's a lot of things that hold us back from doing that. And we're going to look at those as we come. But to me, it's going to take initiative on our part. This is never going to be easy or simple or without sacrifice or without the possibility of being hurt. That's just the reality. We're different people. We're broken people. We're fallen people. And sometimes I'm going to say something stupid. And you've got to be willing to come to me and say, hey, Brett, when you said that, that just kind of hurt. And I need to be willing to say, man, I'm really sorry. I was just being stupid. I was being thoughtless. Or I didn't even know. But that's how the body functions and there's got to be a whole lot of forgiveness and there's got to be a whole lot of grace for this to function well. And I think these aspects of, of the practice of community and the practice of prayer kind of are, need to be in balance in our lives. And you see that rhythm in Jesus' life, right? He would go away to the solitary place to pray, to get connected with God, to be filled up with the Spirit so that he could then interact with this community of numbskulls that God had given him to train and nurture and produce in them his character so that when he left, they would be able to carry on this amazing, amazing gift of the church. So listen to what we're called to be as a body. Is that my phone going off? (laughs) 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 Who's letting their phone go off in church? Welcome to modern technology. Anyhow, (laughs) pressing on. So these are encouragements to action, body of Christ. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Be of the same mind towards one another. Build up one another. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Have the same care for one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show tolerance for one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Teach and admonish one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Live in peace with one another. Seek after that which is good for one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Do not judge one another. Do not bite and devour one another. Do not become boastful, challenging one another. Do not envy one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not complain against one another. Do you want to be a part of a body where those one another's are practiced? I really do. And I pray that God makes us like that. And this is going to be a struggle and it's a challenge, right? Because we all tend to focus in on ourselves and being in community takes sacrifice and it takes time. It just does. But to me, it's so worth it. It's worth it at a strictly physiological level in terms of the importance of feeling connected with other people. But to me, for us as believers, it's so much more important because it's significant for our spiritual growth and development and how we experience God as we walk through this life. We're meant to live in community, right? To the first human, what did God say? Good, 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 good. Not good to be alone. And I don't think he was just talking about marriage then. Jesus lived his life as a single man. Paul says if you can handle singleness, it's actually a better state to be in. So it's not a hierarchy of only the marriage, but live in community with one another. Be connected to your brothers and sisters. Are there people that are encouraging you, building you up when it it's needed admonishing you. We need that in one, to be that in one another's lives and to have that in our life as well. So I want to be part of that. And I pray that our church would be part of that. So in the midst of a culture where loneliness is this increasing epidemic that we are people that are actually connected with one another. And the outside world looks at it's us and it's like, wow, it's not race that brings them together. It's not a common interest that brings them together. It is, I don't know what it is. They just all talk about Jesus. And they see Christ manifest in us as we manifest him to one another as he fills our lives. Folks, we're called to be drastically different than the world at large. And the world at large needs this desperately and we need this desperately as well. So it's my prayer that we be a church that is connected in community with one another. Not just that superficial, fine, fine community, but a community that is able to get deep with one another. And it's not going to happen with a million people. The research I've read says 100, 150 people are max in terms of your social interaction in life. For introverts, it's probably three, but it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> if those three are significant, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So don't beat yourself up and don't say, oh, I took a personality test and it says I'm an introvert so I don't have to do community. No, the scriptures don't give us that option. You may do community and it may look slightly different than the extrovert, 
but you still need it, and we all do. So let me pray, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. Uh, How we practice that is Barry's going to be playing in the background and just come up and just hold your hand out, and one of the servers will put a piece of bread in there and give you the cup, and then just take that back to your seat. And uh, as this text says, it's a time to examine ourselves, specifically with The Corinthian believers, I think this was a time to examine themselves about how they're doing community and are they really loving their brothers and sisters. So to me, that's one thing we need to look at, but that's not the only thing. To me, I always go to Psalm 139 where David says to the Holy Spirit, search me, see if there's any offensive way in me. Because sometimes we know and sometimes we don't know. But if we're open to the Holy Spirit, he will point out those things where we need to change. And again, he does not point those things out to isolate us, to push us away, but to say, come to me, confess that, and let's work on changing that together. Because we're all in this process, right? James says to believers, we all stumble in many ways. He doesn't say, oh, before you became a Christian, you stumbled in a lot of ways. But now that you're a Christian, you're perfect. No, he says, we all right now stumble in many ways. And maybe our stumbles look a little bit more socially acceptable to some people, but they're still there, right? We recognize that oftentimes we're, we're all about us, all about me, and we're not really focused on other people. And that's what God is calling us to do. That's the example we have in Christ that we celebrate at this table who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what we celebrate. Christ has given his life for you so that you can have life with him. He's experienced the penalty of death that my sin and your sin deserve so that we could experience life and life to the full. And part of that full life means us coming together as his people, as his body, to be true community and to demonstrate to the world a different way of doing life, life together. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, not life apart. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we need your help to be this kind of a body. We recognize that sometimes it's just easier to be alone, because it takes time, it takes effort, we have to be vulnerable, we're not sure how people are going to react, and frankly, Lord, sometimes we're just scared of it. So Lord, help us to move beyond that, help us to be spurred by your word to see the importance of this fellowship, this community that we need with one another. Or please work in our hearts. If there's conviction that's needed, bring it. Not to crush us, but enable us to move forward. Thank you, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now, Lord, as we prepare to enter into your table. We pray that here this would truly be the Lord's Supper that we celebrate, that we would be focused on you, that we would remember all that you have done for us, all that we have been forgiven, and so we would be forgiving to others, that we would recognize all that you have given up so that we would be generous with others, that we would recognize that We are not our own master, but we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we come to you this morning asking you to be at work in our lives by the power of your Spirit. Fill us with you. Make us different so that the world sees the difference that your Spirit has made in our lives. Thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, come. Work among your people now as we prepare 
partake in your table. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.